Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we take this opportunity to invite you into our lives in a very deep and real way. We ask that you prepare us for the words that is about to be read and that the word will be proclaimed in a way that your truth is made evident, that it is revealed to us, and that it moves us and instructs us in a way which only your spirit can do. Lord, we ask that you clear away anything that competes for our attention, any thoughts that may arise that try to distract us from your message, Lord. We ask that you will just let those pass by like debris on a stream and allow us to receive what you have in store for us during this time. Bless this time that we have in your presence. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you're able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And while the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We've been working for several weeks through the book of Acts, looking at the history of the early church and what we can glean from that, what we can learn from that, how the Holy Spirit was moving through those early apostles, those early followers of Christ, and what we can do to mimic that and, uh, and how the Holy Spirit can, can likewise work through us. Now, Acts is a very um, dense book. And it's, it's 28 chapters long, and if we spent, um, we, we could spend years studying it, really. In fact, the church that I grew up in, I remember when, when I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, the preacher wa- worked through the book of Acts, and he was in it for a couple of years. And I remember thinking, this is a long time to be in one book of the Bible. But that, that's, I understand now the importance of it because the book is so rich and so dense with information about how God was working through the early church. And it can be so uh, not just informational but inspirational for us as well. 
Uh, having said all of that, I, I realize that we are only just now starting chapter 6 after several weeks of being in the book. Uh, so from, from here on out, after today, we will be doing more of a rock skipping across a pond type of look through Acts. Rather than diving deeply in, we are going to hit sort of some of the highlights as we skip across the pond. But I encourage you to keep looking deeply into the book for yourself to discover ways in which uh, the Holy Spirit may be challenging us to to become the church that he desires us to be. But I definitely want to look at this passage today at the beginning of chapter 6 because, um, because there's something very, very important in here for all of us. Um, and that is the question that we all must ask ourselves as part of our church. Who exactly is responsible for the ministry of the church? Who is responsible for the ministry of the church? The truth is we all are. And, and I don't think I'm telling you anything new necessarily. Uh, before I even arrived here as your pastor, on the bulletin, y'all were printing out the, uh, the staff and you would have uh, ministers and then it would say entire congregation. So, so this, is, this is not some uh, great revelation that we are all ministers, but it's something that we have to remind ourselves of from time to time. And it's the, that's the point of this passage because what was happening was the disciples were noticing that something was going neglected, something was lacking in the ministry of the church, and they, they told uh, the entire congregation to take part in deciding how they would meet this need. And then from that congregation, seven were appointed to take care of the need. Now, sometimes we have the tendency to think that leadership in the church or ministry in the church comes down to one or two people. Sometimes we think that uh, the, the pastor uh, who, or, or somebody else on staff is responsible for all the ministry of the church, and that is not the way God designed it at all. Uh, it is the pastor's job to, to advise and to encourage and to strengthen and to train all of us for ministry so that we can be in ministry together. But, but sometimes that, that's, that's a little bit hard to do. There's a balance to doing that. When I, I first started as a preacher, I had a mentor that told me um, that this is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. You must model leadership while not creating a state of dependency. And I, I kind of, okay, I, I think I see what you're saying with that. But now, after I've been doing this for some time, I, I realize that is a challenge and, and probably one of the hardest things about being a pastor is to, to know when to be a leader who models leadership and when to be a leader who uh, trains and employs and delegates leadership to other people. Because that's, that's really how the church is supposed to function. Now, I have great hope for the church globally, the church in America, the church in Buena Vista, and specifically this church right here. All of us at some point in our lives have to think, what will the church do when I'm not here anymore? What will the church do when I'm too sick to come? What will the church do when I have finished my course in life and I have moved on? In order for us to know that the church will continue, that God will continue to, to use the church, we all have to realize that we, we must come together and play a part in the ministry of the church. Because when we do this, we know that it doesn't hinge on just one or two people. 
It hinges on us becoming, uh, coming together, and it hinges on our unity in Christ and our unity in ministry. That's what the disciples were, were shooting for here in this passage. They realized that there was a need, and they said, we, we can't do this because we, God is using us for something else. So we need more people to step up and do this. Now, it's, it's hard sometimes to find our role uh, because we live in a world where we ask ourselves constantly, well, what's in it for me? I mean, that, that's sort of the culture we live in. We're looking out for ourselves. And I don't think that anybody does that consciously when it comes to the church. I don't think uh, y'all are sitting there thinking, well, what can the church do for me? But sometimes we, we think that way without even realizing it. There might be a ministry, there might be a need that needs to be met, there might be an outreach program that we could be involved in, and we might think, okay, well, how is this going to benefit our church? How is this going to benefit our congregation? Is this going to increase attendance? What is this going to do for us? And there again, what we've done is we've asked ourselves the question, what's in it for us, or what's in it for me? And that's absolutely not the kind of service that God desires from the church. We know that soldiers are brave who go into battle and they fight for their country, they fight for freedom. What would we think about a soldier who, once he got his marching orders, said, well, what's in it for me? What am I gonna, how's this going to benefit me or my family or my friends? That wouldn't be very brave of them, would it? And see, we are all fighting for a kingdom much greater than, than our nation. We are fighting for the kingdom of God. And so for us to wonder, well, what's in it for us? How does this benefit us? Completely misses the point. And that's why I think this passage right here in Acts, right here in chapter 6, is so important. Because it shows the disciples and the way that they were seeing ministry. The way they were understanding what the role of the church should be. Now, if you look at this, uh, it's interesting. It says um, that the, the Hebrews were neglecting the Hellenists widows. The Hellenists were, uh, were Jewish people. They were Hebrew people in the diaspora region who had been influenced by Greek culture, who were speaking different languages. And so they weren't, um, you know, they, they were Hebrews, but they weren't what some people considered the, the purebred Hebrews. You know, they had been culturally influenced by uh, the Greeks and by the Gentiles. And so what was happening was in, in the, these days, uh, the, the temple and the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they were taking care of the Hebrew widows. They were making sure that all their needs were supplied. But they were not taking care of the, uh, the Hellenist widows. And, and so there arose some complaints out of the culture, out of the people saying, listen, some of the widows are getting fair treatment basically because of their culture, because of what they are a part of, because of who they are. And then some of them are getting neglected because of who they are or because of the culture that they are a part of. And so the disciples said, well, well, this, this can't be neglected. This has to be addressed. But one thing I want you to notice about this is it says right there in the first verse, it says, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church was growing, when the disciples were increasing in number, there was this portion of the community that was being neglected. You see, sometimes we get obsessed with church growth, with numbers. But that's not what's important to God. 
Because the church was growing physically. They were increasing in number every day. But yet there was this portion of the community that was being neglected. And that's what was really important. That's what needed to be addressed. So sometimes church attendance, membership, numbers, that has nothing to do with ministry. Ministry is about sharing the love of Christ with those around us. And so the disciples said, we have to do this, we have to take care of this, but we can't do it because that's, we are busy with other things. We have to delegate, we have to find people who can do this. And what they were really doing was they were recognizing their own spiritual gifts. Now, it doesn't seem like a year ago, but, but almost a year ago, I started a, a study here on Wednesday nights on the spiritual gifts. And if you remember what we talked about, the spiritual gifts, they were prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, administration, and mercy. Now, prophecy is, is not what we tend to think about. We think of predicting the future. Prophecy means being able to speak on God's behalf. Taking the word that God gives you and being able to proclaim it in a way that presents truth and, and is unbiased uh, against any other ungodly influences. Peter had this gift. He had the gift of prophecy. All of the disciples who were preaching did. We see in, in Acts, all in these early chapters, Peter is preaching over and over again. He had that gift of prophecy. God was speaking through him. And that's usually a, a gift that, that teachers and that preachers uh, tend to have, is one of, of proclamation. And you see what, what the disciples said. And said the twelve were saying, well, we, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the word. That means the proclamation of the word. They were recognizing that their spiritual gift was proclaiming the word and for praying for the ministry of the church. And then, and then they say, and, and since we're doing that, we don't have time to wait tables. Now that sounds like a slight. It sounds like they're kind of putting down that like it's not an important work. But it was, because that's why they were addressing it. All they were saying was that we can't do this and that. And so we're going to need people in the church to decide who is gifted in this area. Whose spiritual gifts are Mercy. Whose spiritual gifts are uh, acts of compassion and kindness and generosity and giving? These are the people that, that need to be out there uh, serving those in need. And so they told the congregation, figure out who it is that, that is going to be addressing these, who is gifted in this area. And what they were basically saying is that everyone in the congregation was, was responsible for exhorting, for encouraging for identifying spiritual gifts in each other. You see, we all have a role to play in the church. But it's not just enough for us to find our role and play it. We also have to look for roles for each other. And encourage each other. And pray for each other. And strengthen each other. And support each other. We have, very, we have many committees at the church where you can use gifts and talents but the committee, uh, the nominations committee, is the one that's kind of like this congregation. The one that says, we've got to get together and we've got to pray and we've got to encourage people and, and think about who would be good at what. And then out of that comes other forms of service, other forms of administration, other forms of teaching. But we all have to find our role. We all have to find our gift. And sometimes finding that gift means simply listening to each other. 
Now, for us to find our role, for us to uh, reclaim the mission of the church and use it, we also have to reclaim our passion almost on a regular basis. I wrote about that on this week's bulletin, about how uh, when I was younger, I had this passion for, for music, for songwriting, and then, and then after a little while, it kind of faded. It kind of went away, and I sort of had to revisit that and revive it again years later. And it's the same way with our faith. It's the same way with Christianity. We come to, to Jesus and we're on fire. We are so appreciative of his grace and mercy. But if we're not careful, we can lose that passion. And so we have to return again and again. That has to become our prayer. Lord, remind me what it is I'm excited about. Remind me of what it is you're trying to do in me, through me, and around me. And, and, and sometimes we, we have this, this one meter view where we can't really see what God's doing because we're, we're too close or we're stuck in a routine. But if we take the 10,000 meter view, we back off, we can see where God is trying to work. And maybe that will help us recapture our excitement. Maybe that will give us a new vision for who we are in the grand scheme of things. But you have to have that balance of both. You have to be able to see things up close and from a distance in order to see how God is trying to work in the church and through the church. Everyone has to be open. Everyone has to be open to the Spirit. Everyone has to be open to working together, to coming together, to complete the body of Christ. You see, the body of Christ is one body with many members. Just as our body has a finger and hands and and feet and toes and ears and eyes and all these things that come together to make one body, That's what the church is. When we say we are the body of Christ, we are all coming together to make the body of Christ complete. But we all have to be open to the movement and the teaching of the Spirit. If you think back to the beginning of this series, the first couple sermons that we talked about was about being hungry for the Holy Spirit. Craving the Holy Spirit, allowing that Spirit to work in us because we we know that that's what we want. That's what we want for our lives is for Jesus to come in and use us. And we crave that. But if we crave it, then we have to be open to where it leads us. When we're open to where it leads us, it inspires us, it guides us, it shows us where we each must be in ministry. If you look at the way this passage closes... In verse 7 it says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So I said earlier, the focus should not be on numbers, right? Attendance, membership, all that kind of stuff, because what's really important to God is ministry. How are we being the church? But it then ends by saying, as the word of God increased, and as the work of God increased, The number of disciples was multiplied. You see, there's a lot of wringing of hands going on in the church today, in the church church in America. People worried about attendance dropping, the future of the church, people not joining. Uh, But really what it comes down to is we will grow when we are ministering in the way that God wants us to. That's, that's the lesson to be gained here from this passage and from all that we've read in Acts. Is that God is trying to, to do something through us and the only way the church can grow is if we are open to that and we allow him to work through us. You see, we are vessels, we are, we are clay pots that contain the Holy Spirit. 
But we don't just, just contain it just so that it sits there and goes stale. We also become channels so that the Spirit can move through us, that it can flow through us. Our focus shouldn't be necessarily on growing the church in number, but on growing ourselves in ministry and in vitality. You see, the church will grow when more people are open and obedient to the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. The church will grow when more people use their gifts, graces, and talents to minister to outsiders, to the neglected, to the forgotten. The church will grow when we stop thinking of only certain people in the church as ministers and start thinking of ourselves as ministers together. We're all ambassadors. We are all uh, key in, in, in bringing about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to Buena Vista. God has always had and always will have a deep desire for us to serve and to sacrifice. And when we find our place, when we find our role, the word of God and the work of God will increase. And as it does, the number of disciples, the number of Christ followers will multiply. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you rekindle that passion, that excitement that we need to be alive in Christ. Make us alive once again. Make us excited again. Revive us again. Lord, as you do, give us wisdom. Give us the eyes to see what it is that you are calling us to do. Sometimes we are stuck in the one meter view. Sometimes we are stuck in the 10,000 meter view. But, but help us to see both so that we can see how you are working in our lives. But you, how you are also working in the life of those around us. Lord, we ask that you help to make us more united that you help unite us not only in love and in spirit, but unite us in ministry. Help us to pull together to become the various members of one body, your body, the body of Christ, which is the church. Give us wisdom, give us love, and give us the passion to do this. In the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is uh, from the United Methodist Hymnal. It's hymn number 593, Here I Am, Lord. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward as we sing. As always, the altar is open if you'd like to spend a few moments there. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 593.